Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the senior pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. I encourage you to open your Bibles. Uh, we're going to look at one particular verse, verse 4 only, but I'm just reading verse 3 to get the context of what we're going to look at. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places or realm in Christ. When we live our life in Christ, then we are living our lives in the realm where Christ is. So that we can experience every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. Verse 4 says, just as he has chosen us in him or in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Today we are worshipping Jesus here this morning, not because of our choice, but because of God's choice over our lives. It is God who chose you and I to be a part of him. In John chapter 15 verse 16, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I have chosen you, and I have ordained you that you would be fruitful for his glory. So God has made his choice over each and every one of us. We are not here by accident. We are not here in relationship with Jesus because someone told us. We're here because God captivated our hearts. There's something of God's intervention in our lives. And God chose you. Now some of you may find that difficult to understand. But it's true. We're God's choice. When God chooses, he chooses people over things. But when we choose, we choose things over people. Isn't that true? And that's the difference. And that's why we cannot understand why God chose us. Because our choice of things over people is so dominating and predominant in our lives, we can't understand how God chose me about things. So God chose you, and he will not give up on you. You believe that? So I'd like you to say this after me. God chose me, and he's not going to give up on me. God will pursue you. God has chosen you. And God will keep working on you till he fulfills his purposes. Now, a few weeks back, six of us went for an uh, outing to a, a mall. It was evening, so we went to Lifestyle Mall. And uh, others were looking around, uh, seeing the different things which were supposed to be on sale. And uh, myself was sitting there with Ruth on a nice, comfortable sofa. We were enjoying the sofa in Lifestyle. Their sofas are really comfortable. And at the end of looking around, we came across these cups that were lying there. And I like these cups. And I bought two cups. And the reason why I chose this cup is because, one, I like it. Why I like it? I like it. 
I chose it. I like it. I can't explain why I like it, but I can only tell you I like it. Looks good. And the second reason why I chose this cup is because every morning I like to have my tea or coffee in this cup. And when I finish having my tea, I wash it so that I can use it again. So this is my cup. At home, I drink tea only from this cup. It's mine. This cup was lying around in that shop, and then I bought it, and now it's part of me. It is what I like, and this is what I prefer. Why did God choose you? Because he liked you. You can't question it. You can't figure it out. Just the way I like this cup, God liked you. Thank God he liked you. And when God chose you, he not only delighted over you or delights in you, he chose you because you fit the requirement for him to fulfill his plan and his purpose in you and through you. No one buys something simply. We always buy something for a purpose. We choose our careers. We choose our friends. We choose our marriage partner. All for a purpose to be happy and fulfillment. And so when God chose you, He chose you because He liked you, He loved you, and He also has a purpose to work in you and through you. So when the Bible says that God chose us in Christ, what does it mean? It means God didn't choose us because we are righteous people. God didn't choose us because of our good works. God chose us in Christ. And here's how the Bible explains that in Romans chapter 9, verse 10 and 13. When Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having any good or having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election or according to choice might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. He said to her, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So what is the Bible saying? Even before Esau and Jacob can do anything right or wrong, even before their parents knew them, God saw them before the foundation, these two twins, and God decided, I will choose Jacob and Esau will serve Jacob. Jacob I love and Esau I have hated. Only to prove to us that none of us are justified by our good works. Our moral standing does not qualify us for God's choice. In fact, it is God's choice that provokes us to live right. Now, some of you will want to focus on the second last part of that verse. Esau hated. Why did he hate Esau? None of your business. What you focus on, God's choice. He chose you. Praise God he chose you. He praised God he chose us. And we say, God, before the foundations of the earth, before I could do anything right or wrong, you chose me. And he called me to be a blessing. 
Come on, somebody shout an amen. And so we could live our lives with that conviction. No matter how crooked you are, no matter how messed up you are, God has chosen you and he will work with you till his plans and purposes are fulfilled in your life. The sooner you cooperate, the better it is. The longer you cooperate, the more miserable it is for you. The word Jacob means deceiver. And between the two, God chose Jacob and he turned out to be a deceiver. But God encountered him. He had an experience with God. And when God touched his life, the first thing that God says, no longer you will be called Jacob, you will be called Israel, prince with God. The first thing that God does when you come to him, he changes your identity. We're so used to looking at our identity as deceiver or as, you know, angry, liar, cheat, whatever. You meet with God and God says, from this day onwards, you will be called Israel, prince with God. God had to transform Jacob before he could fulfill his plans through Jacob. So holiness is not an end in itself. Holiness is a means to fulfill God's purposes. In Ephesians chapter 4, we look at the third verse, it says, He chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So God not only chose us in Christ, determining it was not our moral standard or our righteousness, it's in Christ that we were chosen. And the reason why he chose us is that we should be holy without blame before him, before God in love. We'll look at the last two later on. Psalm chapter 4, verse 2 to 3. God says, how long, O oh you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness of vanity and seek falsehood, but know that the Lord has set apart for who? For who? The Lord has chosen you. God has set you and I apart for himself. Somebody shout an amen. He set us apart for himself who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call on him. So God is saying to the people, I have redeemed you like this. I have bought this cup. Why are you turning this cup into worthless things? Why are you putting such useless defiling this cup? I've chosen you this cup for better purposes. Now God is saying that about our lives. Why are you defiling your lives? Why are you abusing the vessel that God has chosen? He's chosen us to reveal his glory. He's chosen you and me for himself, for his glory to be revealed. When we look at this word holy, both the Hebrew and the Greek, I'm not going to bother you with those words, but it says the same meaning, which is set apart, separate, and sacred. Three Significant words to define holy. It's sacred, set apart, and separate. Now, when we use the word holy, we think of God. 
and we sing worship songs, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And we have imprinted in our spirit that sense of God's absolute holiness, absolute separatedness, absolute sacredness. And now God is saying, be holy, be like that. He chose us to be like him. 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 to 16 says, But as he has called you is holy, you also be holy. Say the word be holy. It's not a suggestion, it's an instruction. Be holy. In all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. He repeats it, be holy. It's not suggesting that we should be holy. It's not trying to be holy. It says be holy. Make the choice, be holy. Even as he is holy. If we are going to live our lives like Christ, then we need to learn to live our lives in Christ. I'm going to repeat that again. If we are going to live our lives like Christ, we've got to learn how to live in Christ. Because living in Christ is a means to achieving holiness or being holy. How do we live our lives in Christ? When your identity is in Christ... Your thought patterns, your thinking patterns are in Christ, and your confidence is in Christ, you live a holy life. And I'm going to say that again. Living in Christ means your identity is in Christ. We have an identity which is of our carnality, but now we have an identity that is in Christ. We have a thinking pattern which is according to the world, but now in Christ, we see things from a different perspective. We entertain thoughts from a different angle in Christ. And our confidence is no longer in ourselves, but our confidence is in Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His confidence was in Christ. When you look at Colossians, it says, set your mind on things above and not things on the earth. What is he saying? Set your minds on things which are in Christ. And if we can focus living life in Christ, we will live in the realm where Christ is. And that realm is a realm which is separate, which is holy and sacred. There are two aspects to holiness. Normally when we hear the word holy, immediately there's a list that's in our mind. I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this. And in the end, what do you do? Nothing. Holiness is not defined by what you don't do. Holiness is defined by what you do. And let me show you from Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 18. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. That means don't walk like the way people in the world walk who do not know God. Futility means their minds are not productive, futile. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, speaking about those who do not know God. There's no life of God in them. Their thinking is futile. 
because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of the heart, all describing us before we came to Jesus. It's describing the world that does not know Jesus, that does not know God. And then it says in verse 23, that now we are chosen of God. We are chosen in Christ to be a part of him. Verse 23, therefore be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed. Where? In the spirit of your mind. And put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's not talking about what you take off, it's talking about what you put on. Put on the new man which was created to be according to God in true righteousness and holiness. How does this new man look like? And we see in verse 25 onwards how the new man looks. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Which part of that verse is holy? Which part of that verse is walking in holiness? The first part or the second part? The second part. For so long we said, no, I'm not going to lie. I shouldn't lie. Lying is wrong. Not lying is not holiness. Not lying is not lying. And you can talk to somebody and they say, don't ask me a question because I shouldn't lie. I'm not going to answer you. You don't tell the truth. You don't tell lies. And that's not holiness. God is saying you put away lying, but holiness is defined by learning to speak truthfully to one another in the body of Christ. And we have a lot of opportunities to practice that. Second one, verse 26, be angry but do not sin. Now that's how the new man looks. Be angry but do not sin. That means you don't lose control of your anger. Those emotions are under control. Before the sun goes down, you resolve that anger. Or you will give place to the devil if you don't. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So holiness is saying, I'm not stealing. Holiness is saying, I'm ready to work with my hands and to give to someone who is in need. There's a generosity there. Now for a person who steals from others, to work with his hands and to give to others, that's real transformation. The Bible is saying here, pursue that. Be generous. Verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So you're learning to speak words that will edify, not corrupt words, not words that will be damaging, not words that will undermine. Learn to speak words that will edify, build up, and strengthen. Now, you can practice this at home, husbands and wives. Speak words of edification. Don't let corrupt communication come out of your mouth. When you learn to practice that at home, you got, you know, six days to practice it. On the seventh day, when you come on church, you can demonstrate it to others. Can someone say hallelujah for that one? You see, you got a lot of homework every week. So work out some of this. Practice living holy. Then it goes on to say, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 
righteous life, holy living, is not grieving the Holy Spirit. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, all wrath, the meaning of the word wrath is anger and desire to punish someone. And we can punish, we can have that hidden agenda to punish people in a very subtle way. Sometimes withholding communication, withholding love is done with an idea to punish someone. And sometimes very actively you could do things and manipulate things to punish someone or teach them a lesson. Put away all anger. The word anger is feelings that's coming from a heart to be unkind to somebody. That's anger. Put away all clamor. Clamor is violent protest. Rebellion and evil speaking, evil speaking about slander and abusive and blasphemous language. So often young people get into this habit of speaking foul language. You can't speak a sentence straight and there is abusive words, slang words. And you give your tongue over to the enemy to have a dominion over you. That you can't stop even speaking bad words, it's compulsive. It's ungodly. That doesn't help you fulfilling a righteous life. It's not in the compartment of holiness. And then it goes on to say the next verse. Be kind to one another. That's holiness. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So this is a glimpse of what the new man looks like. And I'm going to read the, the qualities of a new man, of God intended. A new man that you put on, speaks truthfully to others, gives to those in need, speaks words of edification, does not grieve the Holy Spirit, is kind, is tender-hearted, and forgiving. That's the new man. That is how the Bible defines what holy living is. And if you look at these qualities, that's who God is. He speaks truthfully. He's generous. God edifies us with His Word. He's kind-hearted. He's tender-hearted. God is always forgiving. It's like Him. is demonstrating His qualities. So I'd like you to say this after me. The new man, the new man. speaks truthfully to others. He gives to those in need. He speaks words of edification. Does not grieve the Holy Spirit. He's kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Lift your hands and thank God. And say, Lord, I put on the new man this morning. I put on the new man. This is what you chose me for. This is what you called me, separated me for. To be the new man. Let's look at the old man, just to, to keep us in touch, what the old man looked like. In case some of us have forgotten, we've gone too far ahead. The old man, same passage of scripture, has these qualities, lying, anger, desire to punish someone. That's what, wrath, steals, deceitful lust, abusive words, grieves the Holy Spirit, bitterness, clamor, evil speaking, malice. This person needs to be saved. You need to be born again. If you got all of that, please, at the end of the meeting, cry and say, oh God, I need salvation. And if you're saved and you got majority on this list, put on the new man. Be holy. And that comes not by our own strength, but by learning to live our life in Christ so that we can be like Christ. 
Ephesians 5, 1-2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Let God be your hero. Let Jesus be your hero. Look to Jesus and emulate what he is and what he speaks and what does he do. And that's a good role model for us to have. Ephesians, the third verse says, Be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, I'm glad that the Bible says, be holy and without blame before him, not before others. Because you can never be holy in the eyes of other people. They will always find something to poke at. And if you're looking for them to give you credentials, don't waste your time. You're never going to get it. Have you ever heard a wife say, my husband is such a holy man, you'll never hear it. He's a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit. Have you ever seen a wife or a husband tell his wife is holy? Forget it. <laughs> and so, don't be discouraged. Don't wait for someone to validate you. Don't get affected by what they say or don't say. There are a lot of husbands trying to live their lives to please their wives and wives trying to live. Waste of time. You live with one agenda. God has chosen you to set you apart to be holy before Him. And if people can work that relationship out before Him, you will be in a far better place. That's what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 21. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. People may condemn you. But if your heart doesn't condemn you, you have confidence towards God. So the Bible says, He has chosen us in Him before the foundations of the earth to be holy and blameless before Him in love. And in love is a motivation. How do we show God that we love Him? You see, love is a two-way street. Love can never be one way. Love is always two ways. And the Bible is saying he has chosen us to be holy before him in love. Do we sing louder to show God that we love him? Or we memorize scriptures or spend more time reading the Bible? How do we demonstrate our love for God? Let me show you what John chapter 14 verse 15 to 16 says. Now this is what Jesus is saying. The words of Jesus. If you love me, Keep my commandments. The word keep is obey. And I will pray the Father that he will give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he will abide with you forever. The one thing that God looks for is our love, which brings forth obedience. Now we all know when you love someone, you'll walk the extra mile to do something for that person. Am I right? And we also know when we don't like someone, even to move this cup from here to there, you do it yourself. You're standing there. No, you do it yourself. My hand is painting. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you're married, you should know what I'm talking about. But when it's love, you don't mind driving down from one city to another city for that one hour to gaze in that person's eyes. I love you. And that's why God is saying, 
the motivation of our holiness should be love and not rules. Rules and laws will produce legalism with no heart and no love. And that doesn't please God. That doesn't please anyone in a relationship. You don't do things because you have to. You do things because you want to. It's motivation of love. And God is saying, I love you. And the way you reciprocate that love is demonstrated in your obedience towards me. It says in John chapter 14, 23, 24, again, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep or he will obey my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Who's the we? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God is saying, if you love me, we will come and dwell with you. So not only we have the blessing of the Holy Spirit being with us when we love Jesus and keep his word. I like the way Jesus used the two words, love and obedience. And again, in this chapter, he's saying, love and obedience... We will make our home with you. You know, I find a lot of people frightened of the devil in darkness. You see one lime in front of your house. Oh, my lime. And if you saw hair attached, oh, my God, finished. You're running. Why can't we be more conscious of God? Relevant question. Why can't we say, Lord, I love you? And you have made your abode with me. God wants the Father, the triune God, will live with you and in you when you love him and you set your heart on him. And that is demonstrated not by the songs you sing or how many verses you know. It's demonstrated in your obedience to God. And when I talk about obedience, I'm talking about the new man that you just read out. Your obedience. You're putting on the new man. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 verse 6, another incentive. But showing mercy and steadfast love to a thousand generations, to those who love me and obey or keep my commandments, love and obey. So the Bible is saying that when you love and obey him, his blessings will outlive you. For thousands of generations, you're setting the platform for thousands of generations to experience God's mercy and God's love. How? By one contribution, your love towards God, demonstrated by obedience. So there is a threefold blessing that God promises to those who love him. The first one, his Holy Spirit will abide with you forever. The second one, the triune God will abide with you and in you. And the third one is generations to come will be blessed when you love him. How many of you want those blessings? And God has chosen you, set you apart so that you can walk in the fullness of what he has in store for you. To summarize verse 4 that we're looking at, I want you to remember three important words. In Christ before Christ, for Christ. What are the three words? 
Can you say that one more time? So to remember this message, the means for living a holy life is in Christ. Our objective or our goal for living is before Christ. And our motivation for living is for Christ. That makes sense? That's what the Apostle Paul, that's what the Bible is saying. And if we get those three aspects, the means, our objective of living, and our motivation for living is for Christ. I want to conclude by these two verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. And this is a picture of the church. It says in a great house, talking about the church, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. The body of Christ is filled with people. And it's describing the quality of the person, not the quantity, but the quality. And it says in God's great house, there are people of gold, there are people of silver, people of wood, people of clay, people to bring honor, and there are some people that bring dishonor. But look at 21, gives us all hope. Therefore, if any man, includes all of us, if any man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor. You want to be a vessel of honor? God chose you to be a clean vessel so that he could bring honor in you and through you to the world around us. And he says here, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, set apart, useful for the master. Who's the master? Jesus. Prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust. Flee it. Run away from it. Don't let anything defile the vessel that God has chosen. And that vessel is you and me. is us together. But pursue righteousness. The word pursue means chase after, run after, seek, don't give up. If we pursue education, we pursue people, God's saying pursue righteousness, run after it, chase after righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Holiness is not only worked out between God and me, holiness is worked out God, me, and people. And that's why it says, pursue righteousness, love, faith, peace with all of those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. The way we relate with people determines godliness and the righteous life that God has called us to live. God wants every one of us to be a vessel of honor. The objective of my living I want to make you the motivation of my living. And Jesus, you are the means for my living. The righteous life and the holy life that God has called us. Let's look at Titus chapter 2 verse 14. This is what the Bible says. Christ gave himself for us. He redeemed us from every lawless deed to purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. It's like me going to that shop, picking up this muscle, 
for myself, my cup, for my purpose, for my use. God has picked you up for himself. He calls you his own special people, zealous for good works. And we need to be zealous for good works. Serve God, honor God, pursue zealous works, help someone, minister to someone. He chose you to be that person. This was the prayer that I picked out. And you can pray this during the week. And I prayed this for many years. And I want you to pray this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 10. This is an apostolic prayer that Paul makes for the church. And now you don't have an apostle Paul to pray for you. I can pray for you, but you can pray for yourself. Okay? And so this is a very powerful prayer that you can use. And Paul is saying, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, heard of their salvation, they accepted the Lord, do not cease to pray for you and to ask, now this is his prayer towards God, ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How many of you need that prayer? So you can lay hands on yourself and pray that and say, God, I'm praying that you will fill me with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then he prays the next one, that you will walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You can do with that part of the prayer also. And you can lay hands and pray in that. Okay. And I'm going to pray for you. Okay. And you can believe God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will fill everyone in this congregation with the knowledge of your will. Fill them, Holy Spirit, that each one of them will have all the wisdom and all spiritual understanding. The spiritual wisdom and understanding of what we've been talking about to live our life in Christ. Fill them with spiritual wisdom. Fill them with understanding, Lord. I pray that each one here will walk worthy unto you, fully pleasing you, that each one will be fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Don't forget this verse, Colossians 1, 9 and 10, and pray this for yourself. I came across this uh, poster, and uh, I thought I'll share this poster. It's so true. It says, lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.